I just want to say I really appreciate everyone's uh, involvement and help and uh, ministry today. I know a lot of you are doing various things. Thanks to the puppets, puppeteers, puppet leaders, all of you. Thanks to everyone with the music ministry. Thanks to all of our welcome team today. We appreciate all that you've done. And it's great to have all of you together. Thanks to those who uh, have prepared something to eat. And I don't want to get your minds too distracted by that, but uh, we do appreciate that. We'll enjoy that in just a little bit. So it's just a wonderful day to enjoy these blessings together. So thanks to each of you. And again, if I've not had the opportunity to meet you, we do welcome you, and we're very thankful that you're with us today. And we're going to talk about hope. Hope is a precious commodity. Sometimes people are looking for what they can hope in. Uh, Just like in real estate, sometimes it's a seller's market. There's a scarcity, and it drives the prices up. I think it's a seller's market for hope these days. Hope can be elusive. And if you have hope, you can get through anything, can't you? If you don't have hope, that's when you give up or lose your way. If you're very sick and that illness lasts for a long time, you might think, will I ever get well? If you have a conflict with another person, maybe even within your own family, and that conflict just goes on and on, it seems like it's never going to get resolved. There's a barrier between you and somebody else, and you think, will I ever be happy? Will we ever be at peace? Will we ever be reconciled? When there is always a war somewhere, and now with war going on, we might think, will there ever be peace? Um, We met a man here a few weeks ago who came into our lobby off of Clinton Avenue and had all of his worldly possessions in a black garbage bag. And I asked him, how can we help you? Is there anything we can do for you? And he said, I just want my life back looking for hope. Maybe you're starting your adult life. We have lots of young people in uh, this, this group here. Maybe you're looking out over life ahead of you, and you might be thinking, there's so many problems in the world, how am I ever going to make it? Is there hope for you? And I know that people struggle with secret sins, besetting sins, chronic sins, addictions, addictive behaviors, And if you struggle with something like that, you might think, will I ever have victory? Well, there is a hope that can fill your life like a flood. And it can carry you through any worst case scenario. And if you have lost hope, it can return to your life. This hope can return to your life like the rising sun after a nighttime storm. The key is you have to know where to look, don't you? You have to know where to look for that hope. Well, we are going to look in the Bible. God has given us his word, and he has told us what he wants us to know about himself and about life. And today I want to talk about the return of hope, and we are going to be in the book of 1 Peter. So if you haven't already Look for the book of 1 Peter. I hope that you'll be able to find that in your Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, Peter was a fisherman, right? He was a fisherman on the sea 
of Galilee in the land called Israel over 2,000 years ago. And we might say Peter got to know Jesus pretty well. In fact, Peter became a true believer, didn't he? Eventually, he became an influential leader. He followed Jesus and he influenced others to follow Jesus. And he wrote to other Christians. And that's what First Peter and then right after it, the book of Second Peter in our Bibles are. They are Peter the fisherman, Peter the Jesus follower, Peter the disciple, Peter the, the church founder, Peter's letters to Christians who were down, who were hurting, who were discouraged, who had lost hope. Some of it was because they were hated for being Christians. People were just just hostile to them and made their lives miserable and hard because they were followers of Jesus. Some of them were just going through hard times. They were painful circumstances in their lives. And Peter wrote to them to encourage them. And Peter was an encourager. You know, some people are like that, aren't they? Just they're encouragers. And that's what Peter was. In fact, some people have said that that John was the apostle of love because John wrote a lot about loving God and loving your brothers and sisters and loving others. And that Paul was the apostle of faith because he wrote a lot about being saved by faith and living your life by faith. And then they say that Peter was the disciple or the apostle of hope. Peter talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ more than any other of the gospel writers, of the scripture writers. He talks about the resurrection of Jesus. And, and he started this letter, what's called the first epistle or first letter of Peter, by telling discouraged and hurting people, there's hope. There's hope. So look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1, and let me read for us starting in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we need to look for hope in the right place, don't we? Well, if you look again at verse 3, I think we can see from what Peter says where we should be looking for hope. That is the question. Where should we look for hope? And Peter starts out verse 3 saying blessed. It's the idea of, of giving praise, saying God is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our thanksgiving. And so even today, that's why we make a big deal. That's why we, we have a celebration as we think of the resurrection of Christ, because he, he is worthy of being thanked and praised and celebrated for this. And then he identifies him as God, who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is talking about the supreme being, the God who made all this, the God who we read about in the Bible. But specifically, God who had a son named Jesus, the Son of God. So, so the who here is God and his son Jesus. God is the one who can give you hope. And the way that God gives you hope is through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, you probably know that there are lots of people telling you they can give you what you need. 
you watch TV for very long, you'll see that there are people who are offering you products and services and resources and clubs, memberships, diets, on and on and on, that will give you what you want. They'll make you a better person. You'll become happier. They will enhance your well-being. You'll be more successful. Your problems will be resolved, and you'll be on your way, right? There's so many messages around us, so many, so many, um, so many ways that people offer and tell you to, to find an answer, to, to find your way, to be successful, to be fulfilled, to be happy. It's not in any of those products, it's not in any of those services, it's not none of those celebrities, none of those famous spokesmen or spokeswomen have those ultimate answers. And there's something else as well. It's not in you and it's not in me. We can't find ultimate hope inside of ourselves. We are told in many cases to look within. The answer's inside of you. But if you look long enough and deeply enough, you'll always come up disappointed, won't you, even looking inside of yourself. Because of our imperfections, because of our shortcomings, because of our failures, our inadequacy and our sin. So, so he says we need to look for this hope in a specific person, and that person is God, and it is God specifically through his Son, Jesus Christ. So what is it about God that makes him want to do this? Not just that he can do this, but he wants to do this for you. He wants to renew hope. He wants to restore hope to our lives. Well, he tells us, Peter tells us, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his abundant mercy. Do you know what mercy is? Mercy is caring. It's compassion. It's the kind of compassion that you feel when you see someone in need and you are moved to help them. You see a person carrying a heavy load, and you see that person struggling with that load, and you say, hey, let me help you with that, or let me get the door for you, because you, you see that they're struggling, and you just want to help. It's what moves you to notice somebody who has a real need. Maybe they look hungry, and you decide to help them out and give them something to eat. That's compassion. That's mercy. Well, what this is telling us is that God sees us, and God cares about us, and God wants to help us. And you might think, well, I wonder, would God really treat me that way? Or have I done too much? Have I gone too far? Have I wandered away? And will he really help me find my way back? And will he actually receive me back? And you know what I can tell you this morning? The answer is yes. Because he is a God of mercy, and Peter even adds the word abundant, which means he's super wealthy. It means there's, there's no limit. It means you can't find the end. You'll never reach the, the capacity of God's compassion on you. Because he's God. And this is one of his infinite character qualities. So Peter just kind of addresses that objection before they even make it. Hey, if you're thinking maybe God isn't going to help you, if you think maybe you're beyond hope, or your situation is, is too complicated or too difficult or too far gone, nope, this is a God with abundant mercy, he says. And that's what motivates God to help us in this way. 
Now, how does God do this? How does he give us hope? Well, we see again here in verse 3, it says he has begotten us again to this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, there's several important ideas here, and let's, let's just look at each of them to make sure we understand. First of all, Peter says he has begotten us again. Begotten means to give life. Like parents bring a baby into the world. That's the idea here. To conceive and to give birth to to a child. Together, human parents make a new life. Here, it's talking about God giving people new life, but it's not talking about creating them physically as human beings. It's talking about something else, isn't it? Because he, he adds the word again. Does it sound like something else you might have heard before? There was a very religious man. In fact, we read about him a few minutes ago, who was there after the death of Jesus and brought some spices to help preserve the body of Jesus after his death. He was very religious. He was one of those Jewish individuals who worked hard to keep all the laws and perform the commandments. He was a moral man. He wouldn't look at his life and say, oh, what a terrible sinner. But Jesus met him earlier on, didn't he? Remember his name? Nicodemus. And John chapter 3 tells us, Jesus said to that very religious, moral man, you must be born again. That's the same idea Peter is repeating here, to be born again. What he's talking about is not just trying harder, not just a fresh start, when you're born, you, you are a new person. You have a new life. There's a whole new being now that's brought into existence. When you're born again, the same thing happens. And that's what God does for you. God, who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has abundant mercy, can actually bring new life. And he does that for you when Jesus Christ enters your life. So he's talking about being born a second time with a new nature. As Paul said, anyone who is created in Christ is a new creation. So the idea here is that we experience this second birth, which gives us a living hope. And he calls it this living hope. It is a continuous ongoing, self-perpetuating hope. It's not one that lasts for a day and it's based on circumstances or how things are going in your life or the way that people are treating you. It's a living hope. It's from a bottomless reservoir. It will never end. And nothing can stop its flow in your life. It is ongoing. It is continual. Anybody remember the 1970s? Anybody here remember the 1970s? I was kind of a kid, all right. But I do remember this. Back in the 1970s, there was a time when gas prices went very high and the gas supply was limited. And we're kind of hearing about that now, aren't we? And there were long lines of cars at gas stations and some gas stations even controlled the amount of gas that you could buy. They rationed the gas. And people were worried, is there going to be enough? Am I going to be able to drive around and do my work and run my errands and all those things that we depend on vehicles to do? Maybe that mindset, maybe that little bit of nervousness has, has come to us even in our time right now. 
as gas prices and the supply seems to be uncertain. We become nervous when a needed commodity is in short supply. In a similar way, we, we can feel stressed and, and pressured and, and have despair when we're running low on hope, can't we? It's like, I, I need some hope to get through this situation. I need a glimmer of positivity, of knowing that things are going to be ultimately okay to just hang in there and keep going or to get back on track or to know that I'm going to, to overcome And if we're looking within ourselves or at people around us or other circumstances, the truth is it will run out because it is limited. It is in short supply, but not with God because it is a living hope. It is perpetual. It is continual. And we're getting it from the source who is an infinite supply. And and living, the idea of living can also indicate that it actually provides life. It vitalizes us. So hope returns when we have this new life that God gives you and this hope that is living. It is continually replenished and it provides the energy that you need to move forward even in painful and discouraging circumstances in life. I've read this term and I've heard it used once or twice. I think I mentioned it here one time before. There's some places where Preachers would go, I think even up in Minnesota, and, and, and kind of go around to logging camps or places like that where there are rugged, rowdy men, uh, you know, doing their work and, and kind of being rowdy and all that. But, but preachers would go out and preach to them and try to share the gospel with them. And, and they had this name. They were called Sky Pilots. <laughs> I don't think it's because they actually flew in. I think it's because they sort of seemed like they were pie in the sky. You know, you're talking about, you know, heaven and all this kind of fantasy stuff, and we're living real life, right? Sometimes I think of that term when I talk about something that just seems out there. So I'm not just a sky pilot this morning saying, oh, there's hope for you. Things will get better, right? And the reason for that is what Peter says next. There is a reality that we can anchor our hope to. What does he go on to say? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Come on, Peter. Really? Let's start with the word dead. A man named Jesus lived over 2,000 years ago on the other side of our planet in a place known as Israel, a little strip of land east of the Mediterranean Sea. The leaders of his nation accused him of blasphemy. They turned him over to the occupying government, the Romans. They demanded that he be put to death. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus died on a Roman cross on a hill outside Jerusalem called Calvary. His body was placed in a rich man's tomb. It was closed with a stone. It was guarded by Roman soldiers And on Sunday morning, he was gone. And as those angels said, he is not here, for he is risen as he said. And he appeared to individuals, and there were eyewitnesses, and and people's lives were changed, and there was never an answer to why the tomb was empty and how he got past those Roman guards. There's never been an answer, never been an objection to answer those. So, so there's, a, there's a 
fact of history that Jesus, God's son, was crucified and also rose from the dead. He lived without sin. He faced down Satan. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He said he would die. I'm going to die, he said. And he said, I'm going to come back to life. And he did that. So when you think about anchoring your hope in something that's actually going to be a source of hope for you, nobody else can match what Jesus did. Nobody else can accomplish what Jesus accomplished. Nobody else has the power and the ability to do what Jesus did. He is the risen Savior. You don't have to answer this out loud. You don't have to raise your hand, okay? Just in your heart. You can answer out loud if you want to. Do you really believe that a dead man came back to life, a dead man named Jesus? Do you really believe that? Well, if you do, then that is something you can place your hope in, right? Because that is power. That is ability. That is victory. That is life. So he has the ability to change anything. He has the power to fix anything. He can overcome anything. And and my friend, he can forgive any sin because he paid for it. And he can help you conquer any sin because he overcame it. And he can restore anything because he is the crucified, risen Lord. So Peter says, I'm telling you, we need to praise God who has this abundant mercy, and he is the one who's given us new birth to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he finally gets to that that main idea. Here is why I can encourage you and promise you this hope, because Jesus rose from the dead. And it's real. It's real. Uh, I want to share a little little story that happened to faith in me. And um, this is a true story. It's kind of... um, uh, it's interesting and, and unusual. Um, we were um, actually traveling, and uh, we were, we were on, a, on a plane. We were on a flight. We were returning from a trip to visit some of our missionaries that our church supported at that time. And we, we were on a flight, a long flight from uh, Los Angeles, California, landing in Atlanta, Georgia. And maybe an hour or so before the flight was uh, to land, I was, uh, Faith and I were sitting on one side of the plane, and I was on the aisle, and across the aisle from me, there were, there were two ladies. And I'm just sitting there, just, you know, doing whatever you do, reading, napping, whatever, on a plane. And I noticed a little bit of, of disturbance over there, and, and the lady in the window seat was, was looking at the lady on, in the aisle seat, and she was saying, are you okay? Are you okay? And, and this lady in the aisle seat was kind of slumped over, and... and and obviously something was, was wrong. So somebody pushed a button, called for the flight attendant who came back. Uh, the flight attendant yelled, is there anybody here with medical ability, doctor, or first responder, or nurse? Um, there was a doctor who came back, and, and they actually got the lady lying down in the aisle. So I'm sitting in this seat right here, and, and she's lying in the aisle, and they're working on her. And about that time, another man started coming back toward us. And he said, I'm her husband. So they were sitting in separate rows, just the way the, the seating was arranged. He said, I'm her husband. So I'm sitting here, the lady's here, here's her husband. 
So I just stood up and I said, would you like to sit here? I'll trade seats with you. I was going to go forward to where he was sitting and let him sit in that seat. And he said, yes. And as we were working our way past each other, I'm just thinking, is there anything I can do, anything I can say? And uh, I said, I'm a pastor. Um, could I, would you like me to pray for you? And he said, that'd be great. So right there standing in the aisle with his wife lying on the floor, I just said a quick prayer of God to help and, and to comfort. And as we looked up, he looked at me and he said, it's okay. We're Christians. We know where we're going. And they kept working on her and uh, stayed there until the flight landed. And then they, they took her off before anybody else left the plane. And I didn't see him again after that. But what we heard in that moment was those words of hope, right? Isn't it amazing? Isn't it powerful how real that is? So, so in that moment when everything's on the line, when the person that you love more than anybody else in life, their life is in the balance, to know that there is an eternity, to know that there is forgiveness of sins, to know there is eternal life, and it's provided through Jesus Christ, gives a hope that sustains and carries you through like nothing else can. I used to work at a funeral home when I was in college. That was my summer and Christmas time job, and I saw people go through all kinds of despair and grief, and there were some who didn't have any hope, and there were some who had the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ, and it makes all the difference in the world how people respond in those circumstances. And if you're a believer this morning, you you have that hope, don't you? And the reason is that it is anchored to Jesus, not you, not your good works, not a religion, not ceremonies, not what somebody else has done for you. It It is linked to Jesus' death and to his resurrection for you. And just like that man in a, in a worst-case scenario can be calm and confident and at peace, you and I can as well, regardless of what comes our way, regardless of what's happening in this world, regardless of what circumstances are like. True hope is not anchored to things that don't last. So to have this hope or to, to have hope return to our lives, we need to look for hope from the only one who can really give it to us, and that is our God who shows mercy through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now there's another question for us to consider then, on what should we fix our hope? In other words, what are we looking for? What are we looking forward to? Because hope looks forward, doesn't it? What are we looking forward to? Well, look at how Peter describes this. In verses 4 and 5. Two, an inheritance. And then he describes this inheritance. Incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. What is that? Well, an inheritance is something that you don't possess right now. But you will come into possession of it at a time in the future, right? He calls it incorruptible, meaning it won't decay, it won't wear out, it won't break. He describes it as undefiled, meaning it's not polluted by sin, it's not affected by the curse, it has God's full approval, it's blessed, it's not tainted by sin. 
It does not fade away. It never loses its value. I love how one, one writer describes this. He says, it will never lose its wonderfulness. So this inheritance, he's describing, will never lose its value, never lose its wonderfulness. If you inherit a million dollars from a rich relative, eventually it's going to go away, right? But not the inheritance he's describing here. Then he says it's reserved in heaven. It's guaranteed. No cancellation. You don't have to worry or wonder about your place in heaven. So there he he narrows it down. Where is this hope? Well, it's located in heaven, isn't it? It's pointed to heaven. It's focused on heaven. And then, as some, again, writers have observed about this passage, Paul is talking about us and our, and then... As he talks about this inheritance reserved in heaven at the end of verse 4, P- P- I'm sorry, Peter says, for you, for you. He's making sure they understand. Guys, this is yours. You have ownership of this. You may not fully possess it now, but you will come into possession of it one day. It is there waiting for you. What is this inheritance? Well, it's in heaven. And, you see in verse 5, it includes something called salvation. For salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Look at the end of verse 9. He refers to this again at the end of verse 9. The salvation of your souls. He's talking about being saved. Talking about having your sins forgiven and knowing that you have an eternal home in heaven with God. And that that is ready and waiting and secure for you. And Peter uses all these descriptions to tell you that your hope is in something that lasts forever. And you might think, oh, if I could only have that and know that it's real and it's secure and it's not going to go away, it's not going to disappear, nothing can remove it. And to address that question, back here in chapter 5, Peter says, to you, for you who are kept by the power of God. So in other words, it doesn't depend on you, does it? It's God's power that ensures that this promise will be kept. To be kept means to be guarded. The power of God. Is anyone or anything more powerful than God? No. Nothing and no one. So this salvation, the salvation of your souls and everything it includes is secure. So you have a promised possession. It'll never grow old, never wear down, never run out, never fade away. It cannot be touched by sin. It won't lose its value. Its wonderfulness will never go away. It is guaranteed. It includes living forever in a place called heaven. It means you will not be separated from God forever in a place of torment called hell, but you will be with God in a place called heaven. And this is kept securely by God himself, and it's all waiting for you, as he says, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now let's talk about that piece called salvation for a minute. To be saved means you'll never pay the penalty for your sins. That's been taken away because Jesus paid the full penalty for your sins. That takes care of your past, doesn't it? We'll talk about the future. To be saved means that you will 
Never be condemned for your sins or have to pay for your sins in the future. It means that you'll be in the presence of God forever. Nothing can take that away. You have that to look forward to. But being saved also means that God is at work in your life right now. To be saved means to be rescued. Salvation is deliverance. It means that that you're being delivered right now from sin. I was saved when I was eight. I struggled with some sins, especially as a teenager. I struggled with some sins as a young man. I've struggled with things as a married man. I was a pastor for 25 years. You know something? Sin is still there. It is still present. It still exercises an influence over me. It's always there. And regardless of of how long you've been a Christian or how mature you might be as a believer or what positions you may hold in the church, sin is always a present reality. And there are times when even we as Christians succumb to temptations. We yield to our desires. We pursue indulging our flesh. We allow ourselves to be controlled by anger or greed or pride or, or lust or just something selfish can even come under the control of sins. Christians can become addicted to practices, to substances, to media. And when we struggle with those, we can lose hope. But the reality is that hope can return to your life. And it's not because anything you find in yourself, not because you try again or work harder. It's because you recognize that there is someone named Jesus, the Son of God, who not only paid for the penalty of your sins, but rose from the dead in power and victory over sin. And just that fact tells you, you don't have to be controlled by sin. But there's something else I won't get into very far here this morning, and it's the idea that when you become a Christian, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are actually joined To Jesus Christ, you are raised up with Christ in the eyes of God, and you have his resurrection power in your life. And Paul says in Romans 6 that you will walk in newness of life. There's an inevitability to you living a new life and having victory over sin. So you can grab hold of that. You can claim that. You can pray that. You can trust that. All because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. There's one little phrase I haven't really touched on yet. It's there in verse 5, right in the middle. Through faith. Through faith. There is one way for us to have this hope. It is complete trust in God. Complete trust in God. That couple I told you about, I shared that story just like I did with you one time in the church where I pastored. And a few weeks later, there was a lady in our church, and she was an administrative assistant in an attorney's office. And uh, she came up to me and she said, hey, you know that story you told about the, the woman on the plane and her husband and all that? I said, yeah. She said, I work in an attorney's office, and... Some attorneys were talking, and they were describing somebody they knew in another office down in the state of Alabama. And as they described that situation, she said, it sounded like what you were telling me. Here was this man. He was an attorney, and his wife was on a plane, and all this stuff happened, and she actually died. 
I said, really? It, it couldn't be, it has to be the same. I said, could you, would it be okay for you to, to see if you could find out some contact information and, and let me reach out to him? And she said, I'll see. So she brought me his email address. I emailed this man, this attorney. I said, hey, I'm Dean Taylor. I was on that plane. I prayed with you. I wondered what happened. He wrote this long, like a page-long email. He thanked me, and he said she passed away. She had an aneurysm. She passed away. But then he just described her life of trusting Jesus Christ as her Savior and living her life, living out her life, serving God, ministering to people for the glory of God. It was just an amazing testimony of, of this woman's life. And he still had joy. He still had hope. And what, what an amazing way that came around full circle without even me planning for that to happen. And this person heard this, and they heard this person, and I could, could see the, the outcome of this. And that, that's what it is. That's what it's about. It's trusting Christ as Savior, but then also living out your life in trust in Him and hoping in Him. And God provides and promises all of this for us. The only requirement is that you take ownership of it by faith. And that faith is in a person, Jesus Christ, and what he did for you. And it is complete trust, not holding anything back, not trying to add anything to it, but receiving what God has done for you through Christ to save you and change you and to keep you. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, but maybe you have gotten off track, can I encourage you that our God is very forgiving? That he is a God of abundant mercy? And if you need for him to help you get on the path of walking with him and serving him, return to worshiping together with God's people, you can do that. He welcomes you back. Maybe you are discouraged. Maybe there are overwhelming problems or you are struggling with sin. Just be reminded there is a living hope. It is a perpetual supply, an endless source of hope for you. You can always draw on that. If you need to be saved from your sins, there is salvation for you. You can hope in the salvation that God provides for you. If you're struggling with doubt, did God really save me? Am I really still saved you can believe that you are kept by the power of God, that he is the one who holds you in his hand and nothing can take you out. And for everybody else, if you know the Lord, you're walking with him, do what Peter said, blessed be God, celebrate these wonderful things. And then may I remind you, Northridge people, on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about what Peter said a little bit later in this letter where he says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So, share it. Pass the word. Be ready to tell other people why you have hope as well. I'd like to invite us to pray together, please. So would you please join me in prayer. We do bless you, Heavenly Father. We praise you. Our hearts are filled with thanks. These
provisions through Christ, these promises in Christ. Thank you for your abundant mercy. Thank you for the miracle of the new birth. Thank you for the promise of heaven. Thank you for salvation from sin. I thank you for my friends here this morning, my brothers and sisters who are gathered here. and Father, whoever might need hope, I pray that it would return to their lives today. And then help all of us to be ready to talk about that hope with others who might need it. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.